Welcome to Crossing Cultures. I am Sebas, your host from the Netherlands. In this podcast, I talk to people from all over the world about our countries and cultures in order to get a better understanding of each other's way of life. Welcome back to Crossing Cultures. I'm here, Sebas. This is the first recording of uh, of 2022. Uh, the one with Natalia, I recorded it just before Christmas. And uh, despite the, the crisis and the war going on there, this podcast is also continuing. Uh, and we want to uh, address other cultures and countries. And that's why, uh, why today we have our next country and our next guest which is Sabuhi. And Sabuhi, where are you from? Thanks for the invitation, Sebas. Uh, I'm from Azerbaijan originally. I was born in Baku. In Baku? Yes. That's the capital, right? That's true. How was it being raised in Baku? To be honest, uh, I was born in Baku, but I didn't really end up growing up in Baku. So I, it's, I can consider it my hometown, although my both parents are from another city. Uh, but I have attended the school for a few years in Baku and every time I go there, I partially feel as my home and partially as a tourist. And what part does make you feel at home? Well, it's a bit difficult to answer this question, but for example, I have friends who have uh, lived all their lives in Baku and when we are having a conversation, I really feel that I don't know everything about Baku, although I was born there. And for example, there are certain locations that I have never heard of, which are quite popular among, let's say, the youngsters. Like? Uh, well, I already forgot their names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, You're I so don't touristy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but one thing I always do when I'm visiting Baku is the inner city. We call it Icherisheher. It's my duty, I would say, that every time I go to Baku, I try to visit that place. And only then I'm like, yes, I'm in Baku right now. What kind of city is Baku? I would say, yeah, as we always... Because a lot of people know it from Formula One. It's one of the mm-hmm. the cities where they have the cars racing in the streets. And it's, mm-hmm. I believe it's in the middle of the streets, like through the city, really. That's true, yes. I would say I'm not a very big Formula One fan. But of course, I have seen some episodes through my friends and also my brother's a big fan. And as far as I know, it partially or maybe fully... Uh, passes from the inner city, the Icherishar, which is the old part of the city. So when you're watching the race, you can actually feel the vibe that, okay, some part of the city is like very historic and the other part is just the skyscrapers and then like modern buildings and so on. Uh, And I also have to agree with you that many people in Europe, especially, really think of Formula One uh, when they hear about Azerbaijan or the fact that we won Eurovision in 2011 and we hosted it in 2012 in Baku or the fact that we are hosting many sport events like the European League final and some matches of Euro 2020 were held in Baku. Uh, I would say this is natural that people associate Azerbaijan with whatever they see in the news. Yeah, I think that, that goes indeed for every country's image. We all create uh, images based on the news we see. But the thing is with Azerbaijan, to me specifically, that I don't see m- much news about Azerbaijan. So to me, it can be me, probably it's me. But to me personally, when I had co- first contact with you, 
uh, as an Azerbaijani, I was like, okay, Azerbaijan. What do I know about Azerbaijan? And mm-hmm. really, nothing much came up except for Formula One. I also asked some of my friends. Said, yeah, Formula One. Um, the the capital is Baku, and that's actually where it stopped with uh, our knowledge from Azerbaijan. Right. So it can be me, or there is a lack of Western coverage of the Azerbaijani culture and country. Do you? have that idea as well what do you feel do people around you here in the Netherlands know much about Azerbaijan uh, I would say when I came to the Netherlands in 2018 August as a student many people had maybe heard the name Azerbaijan but they didn't know much about my country so I tried to give them some information or if they had like specific questions um, of course I would answer them but uh, one One thing I would like to say that, yeah, I, of course I cannot answer the question why there's not so much media coverage. Do you think about that's the case? I would say that's the case also because we are not a big country. We're like a small country located in the Caucasus. Um, but uh, I would say there's like a few things about Azerbaijan that, yeah, that, that, that needs to be mentioned. For example, Spit them out. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I would like to say is that Azerbaijan is a secular country. And uh, of course, we have many people living in Azerbaijan from different um, religious backgrounds. We have many Muslims, um, culturally and practically. So people practicing the religion and people who are just culturally Muslim, but they don't practice the religion. And we have big community of Christians, mainly, uh, I would say, the Russians, Georgians and other nationalities. And how does, wait, sorry, to go back a little bit, how does it... Mm-hmm. Muslim that only is Muslim culturally mm-hmm. differ from yeah. devoted Muslim? Uh, I will answer to that question uh, after I finish okay. uh, my, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a very big Jewish community in Azerbaijan that have been living peacefully for centuries. And of course, we have yeah people from other religious backgrounds and also people who are not religious at all. And uh, to answer to your question, I would say we have around 10 million people living in Azerbaijan. And to, according to statistics, more than 80% or probably more people are uh, identifying themselves as Muslims. So when you say a Muslim, uh, of course, uh, one, one of the things that comes to your mind is someone should be, let's say, performing namaz. That's the daily um, religious duty that you need to perform if you're a Muslim. But as far as I know, Yeah, maybe maximum five or ten percent maximum uh, people who identify themselves as Muslims really devote themselves to religion, and I would say uh, there's a bit of similarity to Turkey. For example, many people they don't eat pork; they prefer not to eat pork, but they drink alcohol at the same time. Plus, at the same time, they are calling themselves Muslims. So this it's is a kind a of a contradiction. Exactly, it's a contradiction. And then, uh, yeah, we don't have... But that's very common in that's Azerbaijan. Very, that's very common because Azerbaijan is a secular country and religion is totally separate from the country. Okay. And, uh, of course, you are free to practice whichever religion you belong to. You can go to your mosque, to your church, or to your synagogue, or to other religious uh, places. But... Um, But it's yeah. not imposed by the state. Of course, that's not imposed by the state. And it's actually... Uh, being controlled more or less by the state that uh, no one 
tries to enforce someone else to become more religious uh, religious and, and freedom so on. exactly so i would say we we really have this freedom of uh, choosing our religion or just not choosing any religion at all that's uh that's interesting right how is that compared to the countries around you so if we need to compare Azerbaijan to our neighboring countries we have uh, Russia in the north which is a christian country uh, we have Georgia orthodox christian right russians yes yeah. mostly orthodox then we have border with uh, two more christian countries which are Georgia and Armenia they are also both i would say very religious national nations and we have a small border with Turkey and also we have cultural ties to Turkey maybe we will be talking about this a bit later in the episode and we have Iran uh, in the south and i would say people in Iran are more religious compared to people in Azerbaijan yeah but uh, and it's also a part of the state yeah right i as far as i know yeah it's called yeah, as far islamic, as I know it as islamic well. republic of iran but the fact that we have a combination of people living in Azerbaijan as i mentioned like three big communities so muslims christians jewish people uh living peacefully in Azerbaijan i believe that's really making Azerbaijan stand out as a country in the region and probably in the whole continent as well like if you see Azerbaijan as a country located in the Caucasus and Caucasus is combination of east and west so it's either um said that it's part of Asia and then some people are saying like no it's part of eastern europe because the caucasus can you briefly explain the, what area that is yes so if you think of caucasus it's the area um between russia turkey iran and caspian sea so it includes three independent states azerbaijan armenia and georgia so these three countries are independent states and then the the north part of the caucasus is basically the south part of russia if you can put it that way okay and you think azerbaijan stands out because of their cultural and religious diversity compared to the countries around it well uh, yeah azerbaijan stands out in that term because um if you look at iran there are not so many people uh, from christian or jewish background living there and the same with uh, let's say armenia it's mainly christians i would say 98 99% christians and not so many muslims or jewish people living there uh more or less the same uh, situation in georgia which has a population of less than 5 million uh which has actually more muslims living there compared to armenia and then if you look at uh, turkey it also has a combination of um muslims christians and jews jewish people so that's not a big difference and also in russia of course it's a big country uh, with a big population population of course there are people from different religious backgrounds and living there Azerbaijan used to be part of the Soviet Union, right? Yes, uh, Azerbaijan has been part of Soviet Union for almost yeah seventy years until it got its independence uh, in nineteen ninety one, and before we were, we became part of Soviet Union, we had Azerbaijan Democratic Republic, which was established in nineteen eighteen, which lived for almost two years, and this is another fact that I would like to bring up that during this less than two years of independence of a democratic country we actually had so many innovations or like uh, like features that are not really applied in muslim majority countries because it was a muslim majority country uh, but let's say we had the democratic principles we already gave uh, rights for the women to vote in 1918 this yeah, is yeah, way yeah. before many european countries 
and then um, there are many other factors that this country was able to establish within less than two years and we became part of Soviet Union and after we became independent from How Soviet was it Union for, for, for Azerbaijani people that they suddenly became part of the Soviet Union which is kind of uh, mm -hmm. contradictory to their former political situation yeah so I, I'm not did your parents ex ex experience that time period I would say yeah many people would were not really happy that we became part of Soviet Union but of course it had its uh, advantages being part of Soviet Union uh, I will not really go into details of what were the advantages and disadvantages of being part of the Soviet Union uh, but yes my parents also lived during the time of Soviet Union uh, at the end of course so they also partially uh, experienced this way of living in the Soviet Union they went to a school they learned Russian and this is the case actually with my parents generation many people speak fluent Russian right now really? because they were part of Soviet Union and they were attending school in Russian and probably communicating with their peers in this language because this was the main language spoken throughout the uh, Soviet Union. Yeah. And how is it, uh, since it's a former Soviet Union state, how, how do people in Azerbaijan look at the current war in Ukraine? Uh, and I would, s I would have to like note this fact that when the Crimea situation happened back in 2014, Azerbaijan was the first country that officially said that this is occupation. Mm -hmm. Because we had the same issue for almost 30 years where our territories were being uh, kept under occupation. So you know how, how it felt. Exactly. And what, what conflict are you talking about now? Uh, I'm referring to the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, conflict. So the Nagorno-Karabakh region and then uh, the seven regions around it were held under occupation for almost 30 years until the war broke uh, in 2020 autumn. So from September till November, which lasted for 44 days. And yeah, back to our <laughs> discussion at the beginning of this episode, that was like the media coverage uh, of Azerbaijan as well at the end of 2020 in Netherlands and also in Europe that there's a war going on and whether it's a clash between um, Muslim Azerbaijan and Christian Armenia. But yeah, that was totally um, different Okay, so how was it covered by Western media, in your view, and how was it different from the real situation? Uh, as far as I could follow from the Western media, um, they were not really putting pressure, let's say, on Armenia that it should um, liberate and get out of the occupied territories compared to what they are doing today uh, with Russia. Because if you look at all the official documents and all the... Uh, like organizations statements you can see that Azerbaijan's officially recognized territories were under occupation and there were four United United Nations resolutions that Armenia should be leaving those territories and then mm, yeah because uh, that so that was part of the Azerbaijan uh, uh, area mm -hmm. and then Armenians thought uh, or there, there, there were, was a majority. That region was a majority of Armenians, uh, and they decided to found their own independent state. Is that correct? Uh, so I will put it this way. I, I'm, I will try not to go to very much details. But at the 
during the dissolution time of Soviet Union, um, this so 1991. So yeah, this conflict started around 1988 and finished with the ceasefire in 1994. So almost six years of war. And during the time of the dissolution and like during like in 1988 and 1991 in those period, the majority of the population mm-hmm. in Nagorno-Karabakh region, may, like uh, of course you need to see in which in which city and which town. But then there were many Armenians living there who tried to become either independent or become part of Armenia. So uh, this was, of course, not acceptable, first, by Azerbaijani people. Second, it was contradicting the Soviet Union uh, law and principles, because if any uh, autonomous republic, at that point Nagorno-Karabakh was an autonomous republic, within Azerbaijan SSR... So it uh, was an autonomous republic within Azerbaijan? That is true. So it wasn't part of Azerbaijan either? No, it was part of Azerbaijan, uh, but it was an autonomous republic which had uh, a bit of different ruling system, but it was still integral part of Azerbaijan SSR. So what really happened in the war in in 2020 was we we didn't want... Our idea was not that Armenians should be leaving those territories. Our main idea was that uh, the Armenian army, because um, 90%, more than 90% of people fighting there against us were citizens of Armenia, they should leave the territory, the Nagorno-Karabakh region and the seven regions uh, around it, they should leave uh, immediately. The Armenian civilian population can and should stay there, and they are our citizens, and they should be complying with the laws of the Republic of Azerbaijan. So you came. In, so you were fighting against the, mil- the military, not against the civilians. Uh, yes, and in our official statements, and uh, if you look at all the interviews that our president and other highly ranked officials made during the war and after the war and even before the war, our main intention was that the Armenian army, uh, or what they call the local army, should be leaving the region as soon as possible, and the lo- the local civilians can and should stay there because they are our citizens. And uh, if you do not take into consideration this region of conflict, we have officially more than 30,000 Armenians uh, living uh, within Azerbaijan peacefully. But uh, as far as I know, there is no single Azerbaijani living currently in Armenia, although there were many Azerbaijans living there at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, Why not? Uh, Well, we need to refer to the history, and uh, I'm not an expert on this, but there were certain... Uh, deportations that happened within 20th century and Azerbaijanis were forced to leave uh, what is currently known as Armenia. But uh, maybe this is something that historians should be yeah. uh, diving into. Uh, so as far as I understand, there's been a conflict going on between Armenia and Azerbaijan for quite a while now, That's since 1988, basically. Well, yeah, so since 1994 ceasefire, we have been in conflict with Armenia, and of course there have been some clashes in the in the border, and many soldiers have been dying from both sides. Uh, but this conflict was unfortunately not solved through diplomatic way. Of course, we were trying to find ways to solve it in a diplomatic way, but uh, when the war started in 2020, our idea was that we need to put an end to this conflict, in either way and one thing is we never crossed the border of Armenia so we did not have the intention of 
getting even a single like centimeter of Armenian territory. We just wanted our own officially recognized territories back, which happened. What is the current status of the, the com- that conflict? Well, so the current situation is that uh, we have liberated our territories, but the war uh, has ended, of course, and now we are trying to yeah, build up the region. Uh, I wouldn't say from scratch, but mainly from scratch because, yeah, the war happened and there's not so much thing left there, so we have to build everything from... Um, in some places actually from zero so building new homes and then uh, the infrastructure the roads we actually uh, opened a new airport there already and in some parts there are russian peacekeeping forces because there are armenian population civilian population still living in some regions so our idea is that within the next few years i don't know how soon this will happen but uh, the two communities armenians and Azerbaijanis will and should be living peacefully together in that region again okay um well, how do you do you think the the armenians look at you azerbaijanis in this conflict well um it's not very hard but it's also not very easy to answer this question because i have been talking to some uh, armenians before and during the war about this conflict and i know that the opinions of many armenians is that um Armenians have been living in this region and uh, they should be yeah, living in this region, they should become part of Armenia. But uh, of course, maybe it's best if you ask, ask this question to yeah, Armenians, yeah. they will give a better answer. Um, aside from that conflict uh, that's going on for a while now, mm-hmm. what, is, uh, what is so special about Azerbaijan? So, yeah, here's the thing. There are some cultural patterns that yeah you really feel especially when you are living abroad and when you go to Azerbaijan to visit you see like wow these are the patterns that really belong to these people because so for example um if you are going in a public transportation in a bus or in a metro let's say in baku it's very natural that you give your space to an elderly person or to a woman um just naturally Uh, especially if you are a young person Uh, but i don't see this happening often let's say in the netherlands or in other countries that i have lived in um, let's say in ukraine this will happen often as well but not every time and same in turkey it happens often but not every time so this is something natural that we always almost always do it also like, in the netherlands we we have it um it's like an unwritten rule mm-hmm. but only when uh, like the bus is like crowded and there's no other seat available for them and and maybe like it's a moral obligation here in the Netherlands but maybe not as strong as for example in Azerbaijan but we've we've we feel that obligation as well um at, at least yeah of course I, I was just giving a small comparison like like second thing maybe I can just mention is that uh if I go and I see uh, two of my friends and there are let's say a total of six people I have to sh- shake hand with all of them not only with two of my friends so that's not something that i have seen in the netherlands or I- actually in europe that you only say hi um, to people you know mostly but in azerbaijan it's quite natural that even if you know three out of ten people you have to shake hand all or at least ten. say hi to all of them wow and, and, and that's out of respect or? that's out of respect and uh, what is the thought behind that you think we have this idea uh called Panyatka, which comes from the Russian word panyatia, so like understanding, uh, that you need to follow. So if 
if you just say hi to two of your friends and the three people there are like uh, let's say outsiders then yeah this is not good uh, and plus once you walk away those three people will probably tell to those two friends that you know that yeah this guy he doesn't have a panyatka he didn't say hi to us uh-huh. so uh, panyatka like understanding is a kind of an understanding of the way things go the way things work or uh more or less yeah so this is not only about seeing people uh no, in general yeah in general so for example uh it's just some social and moral norms that are not really written but they that the society really expects from you exactly so it has some moral value and it's like decency it's, uh, like a certain standard of decency and how we treat each other yeah that's true yeah okay and is it also is it particular to azerbaijan or you said it's it's also related to uh, russian do you th- see do you see it more in the caucasus area this way of thinking uh yeah uh, i would say it's something that's common to the whole region of caucasus uh but in, in azerbaijan you you really like feel it from day one if you are a visitor or like you are a tourist oh yeah interesting what what if you don't do that is it is it does it have consequences Are you an outlaw? It, <laughs> it might have consequences, of course, not by law, uh, officially. Yeah, it's not an official law, but of it's... Of course, mm-hmm. it may, and it does really have consequences. Of course, not every time. And, uh, of course, if you don't know anything about the country or you're a tourist just visiting, you don't know the rules, uh, it doesn't have any consequences. But if you are an Azerbaijani, uh, even if you don't live there, you are expected to know the certain rules. There are some con- consequences might be that uh, you might end up fighting or actually arguing with the person that you are expected to do this and you don't do it. But is it then a, an argument face to face or is it behind that person's back? Uh, no, it might be actually told to the face uh, that why didn't you do it this way? Like, don't you have a panyatka? It's just like really? uh, in this context, I would say... Uh, we really get into this touch directness that we just say it to the face of the person if we don't like something or we like something. Are Azerbaijanis direct in your experience? Mostly no. So mostly we try to sit down and explain the situation like, hey, listen, uh, you know, in that situation or like here, you had to do this, but you didn't do it. So we try to explain things uh, in, a, a long, in a long way. But uh, I, as far as I know, as far as I have seen, the Dutch people, they just say it directly right away. Maybe because they want to save time, because at the end they're going to say this particular word anyways. Uh-huh. And is that the uh, role of reprimanding people? Does it only belong to the parents when raising their child to, to give them that understanding? Or is it also f- friends and also people on the streets maybe teaching each other those norms? Uh, well, I can answer it personally from my side. Uh, maybe my other friends would answer this, this question differently. True, it's very subjective. Uh, but I would say this idea of panyatka um, really <laughs> uh, is being formulated in your school time, during the university, among your peers. So, of course, you're being taught by your parents uh, and your relatives like uh, how you need to act or like, like certain unwritten rules that you need to follow do you have classes in panyatka well we don't have the classes uh <laughs> and i wish 
yeah, we won't have them. But you you definitely have those group of guys who really sit down or like we we say it like they call you to a, a discussion. Yeah, uh, they call you to a discussion uh, to explain certain things and certain rules to you. And yeah, if there's something that you have done wrong at a certain point, they can call you like in the next like few days and they'll be like, yeah, you know, these are the certain rules that you need to know about and then please uh, behave yourself yeah. the next time. And this is basically the class. And who are, who are these men? These men can be anyone. Okay, so the, they el don't the elderly. They, well, no, definitely not the elderly because, well, the elderly will just explain some things to you, but then this panyatka uh, discussions are mainly being held among your own peers yeah mainly in school or like university on or like those uh, secure surroundings more secure surroundings yeah okay what do you think is the biggest difference between azerbaijani people and dutch people well of course there are many differences and many stereotypes that azerbaijanis have about the dutch people and i'm not sure how much stereotypes dutch people have about azerbaijanis but uh i don't think much yeah. to be honest um because we we like i said we mm. we don't have so much we didn't receive so much information about azerbaijan um true uh, or, or what's going on uh, so then it's also hard when you don't have information it's also hard to form an stereotype. opinion about it positive or negative uh, but stereotype. it's also a positive thing because it doesn't there's also that also means that there's not really a negative stereotype either about mm -hmm. azerbaijanis so in that sense there's okay. no stereotype at all so maybe before moving to some stereotypes, I will mention some well key differences that I have uh, noticed because I have lived in the Netherlands for almost three years now. Um, so the main difference, well, not the main, but one of the differences is that like the beer culture that you have in the Netherlands, we have tea culture in Azerbaijan. So you would see people, uh, well, just peers, like a group of friends going out to a city center in the evenings just to have a tea together and sit there for like two three hours and just chat about life on the streets uh or in the cafe or bar mainly in like a cafe and bars uh, or yeah well outside of the cafes but not uh, on the streets yeah uh so this is like the key difference so the beer culture versus tea culture we and, and really love tea by the way <laughs> and, and for the listener uh sabui brought me a, a pack of uh, azerbaijani tea uh, what kind of tea is it? It's called Azer Chai, Azer for Azerbaijan, Chai for tea. And it's. Uh, so Chai means tea. Chai means tea. And as far as I know, in, in the whole world, it's either called Chai or tea, or like tea. Because if it. As this is some information that I have read, uh, but I haven't really checked. But if Let's something assume was. assume it's true? Well, yeah. So according to the information that I have read, uh, if it was transported from China via land to a specific region, there it's called chai. So in Russian, it's also chai. In Turkish, it's chai. And in uh, South Asia, as far as I know, it's also chai. And if you- Because it goes by land. It goes by land. And if it has been going by sea, like via sea, in the UK or like in Spain, it's called tea and te in Spanish. And I have never heard that any person has been calling this anything different than tea or chai so i want to assume that this information is correct uh i also want to assume that and 
I have never heard anyone calling this chai, uh, and that's probably my uh, my lack of knowledge or experience. Uh, so to me, it's also a new thing that apparently the, the other name for tea. I thought like it was a universal name that tea is called tea, but apparently it's not. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, Azerbaijan really loves tea because I've also seen um, videos of Azerbaijan where mm. they really have like statues of teapots yeah is that correct if i'm not wrong that should be in a city called lenkaran which is really famous for its tea and that city is located in southeast part of azerbaijan and that part is uh, really famous for its tea plantations and that's mainly where our chai is coming from okay so azerbaijani are tea lovers okay. yes definitely what else what else um yeah so let's say the time issue in the Netherlands, if I want to meet uh, a friend or like a group of friends, I know that if we have agreed to 8 p.m., uh, we are going to gather there by 8.15, the latest, all of us. But this mainly does not happen in Azerbaijan. Uh, for example, if we have agreed in Azerbaijan to meet a group of friends around 6 p.m., the chances that we are all going to be there uh, before even 6.30 is like very low. So what I do is, if I'm meeting a group of friends in the city center, I tell them a time and I usually go to the city center like way earlier, at least an hour earlier, and I just walk around by myself. Well, mainly around this Icheri Sheher inner city area. And I ask them to just message me 10 minutes in advance. And in this way, if I know that if they are gonna be late, uh, I will just be like walking around and enjoying my time until they are there. So this time issue is something I really have to keep in mind when I'm visiting uh, my country. Okay, well that's a, that's a because I've noticed myself uh, that you're very strict with time. I'm I'm personally strict with timing. And like second thing, maybe I can just add to that is if a Dutch person. This is my personal experience. Like mainly, if a Dutch person is gonna be late let's say more than 10 or 15 minutes the person usually messages me that hey i'm gonna be late of course in azerbaijan there are many people who are really like on time punctual but i'm giving an example from my circle of friends more than half of them would not even message if they're gonna be late and then um that's the tactic that i just and that's told not you. considered rude at all that's not really considered rude at all uh, is it, but is it not part of the understanding? <laughs> uh, <laughs> partially true, partially not true. But uh, the tactic that I'm using is that I just I just told you I just tell them that it's fine if you're gonna be late, but please message me that you're gonna be late, or just let me know 15 minutes like in advance before you're coming so I know where you are. Do you feel like you've become more Dutch when in Azerbaijan? Well, in terms of timing, uh, definitely yes. And I would say before I actually came to the Netherlands, when I was doing my bachelor's in, in Ankara, uh, I was really strict with timing and I had like a proper sleeping schedule and I was trying to make time for everything, like my, for my studies, for traveling, for my sport and meeting with friends. And I really like the fact that Dutch people are very punctual because it really fits to my personal lifestyle. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. So in that in that respect, they're very different, the Azerbaijani and the, the Dutch people. Yeah, uh, maybe it's also good to mention because um, when you are in a foreign country, of course, 
you mostly start from zero and you need to find new friends and this is easier if you're coming for studies um, in Turkey I will give the example of Turkey because I have studied my bachelor's there and we have more or less similar uh, cultural um, patterns in this context that if you are, if you want to make new friends it's not really hard so you can really like start a conversation with someone and then like become friends in a yeah in a f in a f very short period of time but in the Netherlands this is my again personal experience it's not very easy to become friends with Dutch people let's say during my masters I was taking the same course with a with a person and uh, yeah for almost a month we were taking the same class this is just uh, like one specific case I have never I had never said hi to him and he had never said hi to me but uh, until I told him like hey we're taking the same class uh, what's your name I don't think he will be yeah uh, doing this approaching uh, approaching me and then like let's say meeting uh, this is what I have faced during my master's that with many of my Dutch friends at the university uh, it was mainly the case that I was taking the first step and asking their names and well trying to meet them because well I don't yeah. want to only meet internationals I also want to yes have uh, friends from Dutch and they ended up being your friends uh, some of them yes because many of my Dutch friends are from either my master's program uh, or from the student associations and just in general some Dutch people I have met in different events mm -hmm. and still in many scenarios the fact was that I was taking the first step but I need to also mention this after we have started this friendship it's uh, the stereotype that Dutch people are really close to their own circle this is what I have heard from my mm -hmm. international friends this is not true because once you become like once you spend time together they are actually very chill and uh, they start to warm-blooded people yeah exactly still yeah. but you have to be still still non-Dutch people should be taking the first step yeah yeah that's I think that's super true we're very in group, um, so that means we're not really open to meeting in general. Eh? Mm -hmm. Of course, there are people like that are not like that. Uh, but in general, people are in group and they're not that open to strangers or people they don't know. But as uh, once they're in the group, people or Dutch people really invest time in their friendship and they really value the friendship and they start being very good friends exactly that you just summarized what i wanted to tell yeah that's really that's some way we work like that <laughs> if you allow i'll just take a sip of my yeah, yeah. Azerbaijani tea. um have you heard of any other uh, stereotypes or prejudice about either dutch people or about Azerbaijanis? i mean i haven't i haven't heard much about how people think about uh Azerbaijani. How do you how do you think the world okay. views Azerbaijani? So you have different stereotype about Azerbaijanis in different countries, right? So we are really good at individual sports, and we almost always get medals in the Olympic Games in like wrestling, judo, boxing, taekwondo, all the individual sports that the you can physical think of. fighting, physical sports. fighting, yes. And okay. uh, <laughs> if you look at like the former Soviet countries. Uh, yeah, when you say that you're from Azerbaijan, they might actually think like, yeah, then you 
but as a, as a child, uh, you have been doing one of at least one of these sports. Is it true in your case? It's true uh, in my personal case as well because <laughs> yeah, as a child, as a child, confirmed. <laughs> yeah, as a child, I went to what do you call it? Freestyle wrestling, mm -hmm. but I was also going to other sports um, such as well, chess, uh, table tennis, okay. swimming, and I have also done the national Jenny dances. And then later, um, I have done the judo for a few months. Plus, I have played in. Uh, in one of the Lujani football teams for six months. Okay. Uh, of course. Uh, so you didn't only practice the, the, the fighting wrestling sports. Exactly. Well, so there's like one thing that's also true about Lujani kids. Uh, maybe this is a bit of influence of the Soviet Union as well, a bit. Uh, that as a kid, you don't only go to school, but you actually attend several sport activities. Like you go to physical um, sport, like it's physical fighting like as a wrestling or a judo, you might go for like swimming, chess, um, painting, piano is very uh, popular. So you actually end up doing your school. Of course, that's a must. Plus you have at least two or three like side activities that you go to until you graduate from your high school, where which brings its own benefits actually. Oh, where does that come from, that idea to practice so many sports? Uh, the main idea is that you should be developing as a child in different sectors and you shouldn't be just focusing on your studies or to your music or like uh, whatsoever. So in this way, you actually develop yourself in many ways, because, of course, if you are going for a, if you are going to a music school, maybe you're not going to be a professional musician or if you're playing chess in your free time while you're attending a school, maybe you might not be the uh, best chess player by the way mentioning chess we as Azerbaijanis are very good at chess as well and as far as I know like the recent rankings of this chess players in the top 15 or maybe even the top 10 there are two Azerbaijani chess players okay so there's a there's a focus on sports um, mm -hmm. in the in the upbringing of children is it is it really being encouraged by the government or is it, what do you think where does it come from yeah, so this is natural that it comes from the family as well, that uh, you really need to allow and provide this opportunity for the child to grow uh, himself or herself. Because you never know that your child can be a good musician in the future if you don't allow or if you don't yeah, send, okay. your, send your child to a music school. But, uh, of course, it's also being promoted by the government that the young people should be doing sport and there are many um, possible ways that you can ac actively do like what you're interested in. There are sports complexes all around the country. And it's just, as I said, very natural that you start doing something besides your schooling. Does the Azerbaijani government want people to excel? They won't give people the chance to excel and as soon as they have discovered the talent they need to cultivate it and develop it um, this is, is is there a striving for being the best because you said they have mm -hmm. they're the best mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. wrestling in judo chess in chess <laughs> and that's also an interesting thing because there's a two totally different sports yeah uh, so the one is like physical the one is intellectual mm -hmm. that that means to me that they try to focus on all types of sports in order to 
excel in in all of those sports yeah so this is really the choice of sometimes the parents only but also the choice of the kids as well what they want to do what what they want to attend and uh, like in terms of piano let's say you asked whether it's being promoted by the family or the government uh as far as i have seen in more than quarter of the houses in baku at least you can find a piano at a, like in a house mm. so you you grow up as a child you see a piano you just start playing it and if you're interested then you just start attending attending the piano school like that that it just comes natural and then you see your peers or like your relatives um going to like wrestling or like other let's say even national dance so it's like something physical right uh you just choose to go there yourself as well because besides schooling it's also a way of yeah socializing you don't really understand this when you're very young let's say like seven years old but then later you really feel that wow you have been actually improving yourself getting to know more people plus um if you are really good like attending competitions and maybe even promoting your own country if you are attending competitions outside the country so this also brings us back to the fact that we are really good at olympic games in terms of individual sports mm-hmm. even actually in the paralympic sports so you know the paralympic games is a bit like uh different from the olympic games yeah. in the latest paralympic games if i am not wrong uh we were in the top 10 because we won so many gold medals so to answer your question even people with some sort of disability they are also trying to excel in more than one area in their life but do you think it's something particular of azerbaijan that there is this focus on sports and excelling uh, to becoming the best like you said the best chess player is best judo Well, if you are attending something, you're expected to do it very good. Yeah. Uh, but of course, not everyone who goes to wrestling really has the intention to become Olympic champion one day, uh, because uh, when you are finishing your schooling, many times, in most scenarios, the parents are asking to choose either the sport or the education, and then it's up to that family to to see um, what they want to go for. Yeah. and dual career like i mean education and sport doesn't really go further after you have finished high school during the university yeah uh, but is there like a hard regime in the sense that coaches or trainers or family or um they they want to push people to their limits uh no i would say there they don't really force but of course they pick some people and they see uh people who have more interest than others and they start training them more at least this was the case in my scenario and i have seen in the case of many other people that i know that no, they don't expect everyone to become the best but they have this group of people that they have in mind that could be potential olympic medalists so it's also a form of uh, patriotism i mean if Ye- Yeah. Yes, as I said, the idea is that if you'll be attending like competitions or like even Olympic games, then you'll be actually promoting and representing your country. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's why they try to develop these good sporters. So mm-hmm. so Azerbaijan also gets media attention. Uh yes, uh but of course 
there are many sports and many medals uh, being won at the Olympics that you are not going to cover all the... <laughs> Azerbaijan is winning the medals, right? Of course, of course. No, I, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I mean, definitely not at ice skating where we Dutch people <laughs> uh, dominate. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay, so any other uh, stereotypes or not? Because there's one last thing I want to touch upon. Sure, we can move ahead with the um, topic. Uh, the relationship between Azerbaijan and, and Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe it? Well, this is a very good question because we have a saying, one nation, two countries, about Azerbaijan and Turkey. Because it's two different, well, two separate states. But uh, in many terms, in terms of our culture, our cuisine our um, family traditions and uh, way of thinking, we are quite similar to people of Turkey. Because you're located next to each other or almost next to each other because there's this Armenian part in between. So yeah, again, this is another uh, part of history that I'm not going to dive into, but it was one of the policies to kind of um, separate two Turkic nations. And when I say Turkic, uh, it's also answering to your question, is that uh, we, as identity, we are ethnically Turks, mainly in Azerbaijan, so we are called Turkic. And if you want to know other Turkic nations or like countries, they are mainly in like Central Asia. So we also have cultural ties and ethnic ties to people of Kazakhstan and uh, other countries in the Uzbekistan, Asia. Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan. Exactly. Yeah, true. Okay, so. You have the ethnicity of Tur- Tur- how do I say it? Turkic? Turkic, exactly. Turkic. So if you if if you look at our flag, it's also like blue, red, green with a crescent and a star. The blue refers to the fact that we have Turkic identity. Okay. And the Turkic identity you share with those countries like Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan, but also with Turkey or not? Of course Turkey as well, because well people of Turkey are also ethnically Turkic. Yeah, yeah. So would you say then Turkey and and Azerbaijan are friends? <laughs> Many people will answer to your question like, no, Azerbaijan and Turkey are not friends. They are brothers. Oh, really? And this really? is true. Uh, even more intimate. Exactly, because if you, as an Azerbaijani, go to Turkey, you really don't feel that you are a foreigner. And if you go as a Turkish person from Turkey to Azerbaijan, of course, there is some difference in the language, maybe a bit in the culture as well. But in general, you don't really feel that you are a foreigner and you, you really feel comfortable just like you're at home. And this is one of the main reasons why many Azerbaijanis um, go for their bachelor studies to Turkey. Like you did. Like I did, of course. Because uh, first reason is that parents are definitely not worried that their kid is studying in a different country because it's just well a bit away. Uh, especially uh, if they are like 17 or 18, that's when we finish our high school. So it's kind of a step if they want to continue their um, education further, like in Europe or like uh, North America, that you go to Turkey for your bachelor's uh, and then you continue further with your master's, which is also the scenario in my case. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So... um you share also some 
common history with Turkey, I assume. Well, of course, yeah, we have the historical ties with Turkey as well. Uh, and also, for example, um, a few things I can mention about uh, how we see Turkey in general in Azerbaijan is that uh, if <laughs> like Turkey is playing in a World Cup or like in a European Championship, like football, it's quite natural that you actually cheer for Turkey. Uh, it's just natural. Like yeah. in, in Eurovision, okay. when Turkey was participating, you would always see Azerbaijan giving 12, 12 points, points to Turkey. Turkey. <laughs> Yeah, and the other way around. And the other way around. And if, in case, something would have happened and we would have given 10 points or the vice versa, God knows what would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> All hell would break loose. <laughs> exactly. And then this is the same case in terms of like a political arena that if there's a situation um, somewhere in the world, Azerbaijan and Turkey mostly take the same side. Mm -hmm. So we act together, I would say. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know that. Uh, and what about the languages? Are they also similar? So the language is that many Azerbaijanis, they watch Turkish channels. So they grow up watching Turkish uh, TV series, um, like football, the news, everything. Uh, but the vice versa, the other way around, is not really true. Also because maybe we, are, we don't have as much channels uh, as they have in Turkey. So it's very easy for us to learn Turkish rather than a Turkish person learning Azerbaijani. From default, it's not the same language, but many words are either same or similar. So let's say an average Azerbaijani would understand at least 80-90% of what a Turkish person is talking about. But an average Turkish person, like from Turkey, would understand maybe 60% or 70% of what an Azerbaijani is talking about. So if I'm talking with my Turkish friends, I mainly switch to their language uh, rather than I'm speaking my own language because I'm sure they might not be able to catch some words or maybe... You speak Turkish. I speak Turkish because uh, I grew up watching Turkish channels as well, the TV series, watching uh, football and supporting Turkish teams. And... Uh, and of course, um, studying in Turkey for four years really helped me with my pronunciation and vocabulary because until I moved there, I knew Turkish in my head, but I hadn't really practiced it. And now if I go to Turkey or I see, I talk to Turkish people, they rarely detect that I'm not from Turkey mm. because I really speak it well uh, without any, let's say, accent or whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, this is actually the case with many Azerbaijani students studying or like living in Turkey, but uh, not with Azerbaijanis living in Azerbaijan yeah. because they they mainly watch Turkish channels, but they don't really practice. So when they start speaking to a Turkish person, you can actually see that. Yeah. Well, they they like they, practice exactly. Speaking. They like the practicing. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Sabui. That was it, basically. I was actually planning to say goodbye in Azerbaijani, if that's possible. Of course. So, if you want to say goodbye in Azerbaijani, you have this word, Sagol. Sagol? Yeah, good pronunciation. Uh, you can use this word in two ways. So, one uh, meaning is to say thank you. So, you just say Sagol. It's like thank you. And the second meaning is if you are leaving, you say Sagol and then you leave. 
Sahol. So if you Sahol. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Sahol for the conversation and Sahol, see you. <laughs> Sahol for the conversation and Sahol, bye bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, guys, it's a wrap. I hope you liked this episode about Azerbaijan. In the next episode, we will go back to the African continent, where I will talk to Kaila from South Africa. It's gonna be a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>